Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Welcome in to Outkick the Show. I am your fearless leader, Clay Travis. I hope all of you are having phenomenal Fridays, wherever you may be across this great country or this great land. I can't wait to get to college football and the NFL this weekend. Big weekend in the Travis household. My middle son, Lincoln, is turning 13. Uh, and my youngest son, uh, Nash, is going to turn 9. So we got double birthday parties to celebrate. That's what's going to be going on here. And I hope we're going to be able to celebrate a lot of big wins. So let me go ahead and give you. We got a win last night. Um, I told you I was on the Vikings-Eagles over for Thursday night football. So that was a nice win. Still have five remaining picks in my outkick uh, NFL six-pack. Uh, the Lions minus four and a half. These are the numbers when I gave them out. They may have moved since. The Jags plus three and a half. Uh, the Cowboys minus nine and a half. Dolphins minus three. Chargers, Titans under 45 and a half. Those are my NFL outkick six pack. Uh, and uh, five more games to go. We already won Thursday Night Football. I give out my OutKick NFL six-pack every single uh, Thursday, and I give out my college football gambling picks every single Tuesday now. Uh, By the way, let me uh, tell you what we're going to be talking about. The Hunter Biden gun indictment, uh, the uh, fact that Alabama has already decided on a new quarterback for their game against South Florida this weekend, Uh, The Roman Empire evidently is trending in a major way. Everybody's talking about it. Uh, Do I think about the Roman Empire? That was what one of our social media people asked. I do. Uh, I do think uh, about the Roman Empire quite a lot. Um, And not just because I came back from Rome in March. I'd never been to Italy before, but I'll talk about that. And Aaron Rodgers fires back at Keith Olbermann over Keith Olbermann celebrating uh, his uh, his uh, Aaron Rodgers torn Achilles tendon. So I gave you my NFL picks. Let me also mention this. I saw, and I, and I can barely keep up, uh, but I saw Bobby Barak wrote a really good piece. Evidently, Dan Lebitard, uh was taking shots at me because I said that Mina Kimes wouldn't have gotten a $2 million salary if she didn't have left-wing political opinions. And I don't even know, is that controversial? All I pointed out was that ESPN doesn't provide equal and even-handed opportunities for its talent to share their political opinions and be rewarded with big paychecks for it. If you're a lefty, then ESPN oftentimes is going to reward you. If you have middle-of-the-road or conservative opinions, then ESPN is going to suspend you. Uh, They may, in the case of Sage Steele, uh, also try and force you out, not allow you to do your job. I don't understand how that's a remotely uh, controversial opinion. I also said, look, I don't begrudge anybody getting paid. Uh, I'm, I'm in favor of everybody in media making as much money as possible because it's just like when you see one NFL quarterback, he gets to go out and he sets the market. Everybody else gets paid more. 
Uh, same thing I said when Tony Romo suddenly got $17 million. If I'm Troy Aikman, I'm not upset. I'm ecstatic for Tony Romo. I want the rising tide to lift all boats. I want Stephen A. Smith to get paid as much money as possible. I want Colin Coward to get paid as much money as possible. I want Skip Bayless to get paid as much money as possible. I'm not somebody who looks around at other people's salaries and thinks to themselves, oh my goodness, how come they're getting paid that? I think about it with Ryan Tannehill, but uh, that's another story. I don't think about it very often in the context of sports media. You're worth what somebody's willing to pay you, but it's also completely honest, and I don't even know how you could argue otherwise that uh, the reason why Mina Kimes is rewarded in many ways for uh, her pay at, uh, at ESPN is because she has left-wing political opinions. And if she had right-wing political opinions, I don't think she'd be making $2 million a year. So is that a controversial opinion? I don't think so. Uh, but let me go ahead and give you some gambling picks here because I want to make everybody some money. Like I said, we had a good start last night. Uh, Thursday night football, we got the win. I got a game tonight. Uh, Virginia, Maryland, Friday night college football, ACC against Big Ten. I'm on the over. Uh, Virginia has been giving up a lot of points to everybody. Virginia is not very good. Maryland, I think, is pretty good. Uh, I think Maryland's going to win this game by around 10 points. I think the line's near two touchdowns. Uh, but I like the over 49.5. That was the number when I gave it out on Tuesday. Not sure where it's currently sitting. All of these numbers that I'm going to mention were the numbers on Tuesday. Actually, they were the numbers on Monday evening when I wrote and sent this in to uh, the OutKick crew. Uh, LSU at Mississippi State, plus 10. Um LSU at Mississippi State, again, uh, I think that Mississippi State got the win over Arizona in overtime. It's tough to go into Stark Vegas sometimes with all the cowbells and all the craziness. I think that LSU, even though they put up a ton of points on Grambling, has not looked particularly great so far this year. Uh, I am on Mississippi State plus the points. Uh, Penn State, Illinois, this is my blood bank guarantee for the week. Tap the veins, boys and girls, tap the veins. Uh, I'm on the over 48. Uh, I think Penn State has scored, this is a good stat for you, nine straight games, Penn State has scored uh, yeah, over 30 points. That's the longest stretch right now in major college football. Nine straight games, they've gone over 40, uh, over 30. I think they're going to definitely score over 30 against Illinois because Illinois has given up 28 to Toledo, 34 to Kansas so far this year. Uh, I think that you can pencil in Penn State for 35-plus. If I am correct, and I think I am, that Penn State's going to score 35 or more, that means all I need for Illinois to score is a couple of touchdowns, and we go over the number. And that's where <coughs> I love the over 48 in this one. Again, tap the veins, boys and girls. To me, no doubter, uh, play there. Kansas State. Uh, Kansas State minus four and a half at Missouri. All right, what's going on here with Missouri? I don't think that Missouri is very good. I don't think the Tigers are uh, a very talented team. They have not looked very good in the first two weeks. They were fortunate to get past MTSU last weekend. They lost by, what was it, 23 last year in Manhattan, Kansas. I'm not sure Kansas State is anywhere near as good as they were last year, but I don't think that uh, Missouri is very good either. Uh, I'm going with Kansas State minus four and a half uh, on the road in Columbia to get the win. South Carolina plus a ton of points. Uh, South Carolina plus four touchdowns against Georgia. 
Gamecocks, not very good in week one against North Carolina. Eh, uh, iffy. I believe they played against Furman in week two, if I'm not mistaken, small school. Um, I don't think Georgia's looked that great. And now Georgia hasn't really been challenged. Obviously, they're not going to get challenged that much, I don't think, on the schedule uh, this year. I think Georgia has the easiest slate of games of any of the top contenders, any of the top 10 out there. Toughest game for Georgia on the road November 18th at Tennessee. Uh, but I think South Carolina covers this monster number. That's even though Georgia has won by 29, 27, and 41 in the past three. Uh, A&M minus 36 and a half going up against Louisiana Monroe. A&M was bad. Uh, big win for Miami. Credit to the Hurricanes. Put up 48 on A&M. This defense did not handle the challenge very well at A&M. We're worried about the offense a lot. Bobby Petrino's got them rolling there. I think the challenge here uh, is that A&M's probably just not that great of a football team right now. Uh, but coming off of that bad loss and with Alabama coming down to College Station soon, but first you got games, I think, against Auburn and Arkansas. They got to get stuff right. I think A&M wins by 50 in this game. Uh, okay, Tennessee, Florida. I got Florida plus seven and a half. This number is ticked down to around six and a half at seven some places. So that half point money has been coming in on the Gators. I think Florida's defense pretty solid. Um, and I talked about this game earlier in the week. I just, I'm not willing. I know Tennessee was an 11 point favorite last year in Knoxville, but for Tennessee to be roughly a touchdown favorite on the road in the swamp, it's been a house of horrors. Tennessee has not won very often in Florida. Uh, I'm not optimistic. I don't think they've won in Florida, if I'm doing the math right, since 2003. So it's been, whatever, 20 years since Tennessee went on the road and won in Gainesville. It's a tough place to play. There's a history of Gator success. Uh, I think that Florida will, this is a circle the wagons game for Billy Napier because you still got Florida State, you still got LSU, Georgia, um, and, uh, and, and all that lot. You got to beat Tennessee. You got to win one of those four games ish if you want to feel like year two with Billy Napier isn't a disaster. I think it's going to be very close. Tennessee is better. How does Joe Milton play early? Uh, Tennessee has not started very strong in the first quarters of either of their games. How much has Josh Heupel been hiding uh, against Austin P and against Virginia? What might they deploy here? If you remember, Tennessee saved their Prowler package. Do you remember this back in 01, one of the, my favorite games in uh, in the 21st century in SEC football? Uh, Tennessee, they re rescheduled the games because of 9-11 22 years ago. Tennessee went on the road, won, I think it was 34-32, to 32, um, and saved a defensive prowler package where they had like John Henderson and company walking around um, and, uh, and, and Albert Hainsworth. I think that was a really talented Tennessee team that ended up losing to Nick Saban and LSU in the 2001 uh, SEC championship game after they had blown out uh, or they had gone on the road and won as a 17-point underdog, if I remember correctly, against the Gators. It's tough. Tennessee won back-to-back 0-1-0-3, if I remember correctly, in Gainesville. Has not won otherwise in Gainesville in the 21st century. That's a lot of losses. To be a seven-point favorite, I think, is too much. I've got the Gators plus the points. Vanderbilt, UNLV, uh, I'm on the under. I think Barry Odom knows this Vanderbilt team quite well. Uh, he coached against them both at Arkansas and also when he was the head coach at Missouri. I don't think anything Vanderbilt's going to do is going to surprise him. Coming off Wake Forest, now traveling to the other side of the country, uh, that's a lot to ask, I think, for Vanderbilt. 
Uh, by the way, if you're trying to get bowl eligible, why in the world would you put yourself in a situation where you have to go to Wake Forest and then you have to travel to UNLV? Those are tough games. Doesn't make a lot of sense scheduling-wise. I'm on the under there. Wyoming plus 28.5 at Texas. Texas coming off the biggest win almost 20 years, going all the way back, uh, I guess, 18 years to when Vince Young scored to win the national championship. Uh, feels like a perfect spot for me. Hey, Clay Travis here. Hope you guys are enjoying OutKick. The show will have more coming back next. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. I'm not as confident in this pick now. So I got Wyoming plus the points. I took Colorado State early in the week. And then uh, Jay Norvell, the head coach of Colorado State, decided to take a shot at Deion Sanders over wearing sunglasses and actually create, I think, a lot of incentive for Colorado to actually focus on Colorado State. Hold on a sec. If you go back and you read my analysis of why I liked Colorado State here, it was because I thought Colorado State, coming off a bye, had an opportunity to slide under the radar. I thought the Rams, because Colorado had beaten TCU and Nebraska and was feeling good about themselves, and right before Colorado goes on the road against Oregon and goes on the road our host USC, I thought this game was perfectly set up to be a trap game for Colorado State. I thought they would slide a little bit under the radar. It's a rivalry game for them, but they're the little brother. Colorado's the big brother. They just came off the win over TCU and over Nebraska. Everybody's feeling them. Every show is there. Colorado is the story, the biggest story so far in the 2023 college football season. And then Jay Norvell goes out, and he creates a big story surrounding it. Uh, so I'm on this game. Uh, the number keeps skyrocketing. I think it's up over 24 now. Uh, I bet it at 22.5. Not happy with the way that this storyline has gone, but I already bet it. Um, and so I'm writing with Colorado State, even though it seems like they are no longer sliding under the radar at all. I want to mention this. Uh, I'm surprised by this. Uh, Nick Saban has benched Jalen Milrow and now is going to reportedly go with Tyler Buckner, sophomore Notre Dame transfer. I'm very surprised that Nick Saban is already changing his quarterbacks. Now, I understand it may have been a very competitive Jalen Milrow, uh, Ty Simpson, and Tyler Buckner battle, that trio uh, where everybody's been not really creating a huge separation between themselves, and certainly this is what that would suggest if you're already replacing your starting quarterback in week three, uh, that would suggest that your starting quarterback did not win that game, that starting job, by orders of magnitude. Still surprised. Because when you've got a young quarterback like Jalen Milrow, once you say, hey, he's our guy, this is not very much Saban-like. Saban's not the kind of guy who usually moves around with his quarterbacks. Again, maybe it just means that Alabama didn't really have a starting quarterback. Certainly the fact that Alabama went and got Tyler Buckner 
in the first place that they allowed him to transfer in from Notre Dame was a sign that coming off of Bryce Young, Bama was going to take a little bit of a step back. My argument has been for a while, coming into this season, you can go back and listen to me, I said, look, Bryce Young helped to cover up a lot of Alabama deficiencies. Last year, Bama could have lost to Tennessee, LSU, Texas A&M, and Texas. They could have gone 8-4. and four. They split their close games, went 2-2, two and two, won two close, lost two close. But this could have been, uh, and maybe should have been, a season where Alabama lost more than two games. The reason that they were even competitive in every game was because Bryce Young, when he was able to play, is an incredible difference maker at quarterback. Um, and so uh, I thought we were going to see a big drop-off from Alabama at the quarterback position. I just didn't ever anticipate that we were going to end up in this situation where Bama, by week three, would be going to a second quarterback. Uh, Aaron Rodgers went on the Pat McAfee show. When we clip this, you'll be able to see it. Uh, funny line, uh, Pat McAfee said, I'm sure you saw, and I'm paraphrasing, that Keith Olbermann said the reason you tore your Achilles tendon was because you didn't get the COVID shot. And again, I think Keith Olbermann's brain is broken. I actually think he is mentally uh, deficient. Uh, I feel bad for him. He just sits on his balcony overlooking Central Park and screams at people all day long. He picked on Riley Gaines and said, you suck as a swimmer because you lost to a dude. Now he's arguing that Aaron Rodgers tore his ACL, tore his Achilles tendon because he didn't get the COVID shot. Like, again, I just think he's broken. Um, but I love the response from Aaron Rodgers. McAfee told him, and Aaron Rodgers said, get your fifth booster, Keith. Great line. I don't even know what booster number we're on. We might well be on the fifth booster. I'd like to hear from Keith Olbermann how many different COVID boosters he's gotten. And then also how many times he's still gotten COVID as a result. But get your fifth booster, Keith. Good line from Aaron Rodgers. And I certainly wish him well as he rehabs from his torn Achilles. Um, Hunter Biden gun indictment. Yesterday we taped the show uh, because I had to run around. I had a bunch of events that I was doing. Um, and so the Hunter Biden gun indictment came down while we were live on Clay and Buck. But I didn't get to react to it. Um uh, live on this show like I am now. We reacted to it live on the radio show. To me, it's a really big story. And if you go back and you listen to past shows, I told you that if Judge Noriega were willing, this Delaware District Court judge, to refuse to rubber stamp the sweetheart plea agreement that Hunter Biden had entered into, that I thought what would happen would be there would be an appointment of a special counsel and there would be no other option but to bring indictments. So before I analyze it any further, I want to give credit to three different groups, individuals that I think made this justice happen. One, the House. The House of Representatives has developed a lot of evidence of, uh, surrounding the Biden crime family. And without the House hearings and the House investigations, I think Hunter Biden would have gotten a sweetheart deal they would have rubber-stamped this plea agreement, and nothing else would have come out associated with it. So this is one of the consequences of the Republicans winning the House, is that we ended up uh, with 
Hunter Biden being held accountable because there was more of a light shined onto the Biden crime family. This is why I think impeachment is the right move, by the way, because there's still lots of people who don't know the full story here. So congrats to the House and everybody inside the House who worked to develop these facts and help to shine this story. Also, congrats to the IRS agents. Hugely important that these IRS agents, Gary Shapley in particular, went under oath and testified to the fact that the rig job was in effect, that they weren't allowed to fully investigate Hunter Biden because he was being protected by the Department of Justice, and that Weiss, the, uh, the attorney here uh, that is investigating, that he said that he did not have the power to charge. Um, that is very, very important. Without those under oath testimonies, I also think that we would have had a resolution of the Hunter Biden investigation after five years with no consequential uh, punishment. Finally, Judge Noriega, uh, the Delaware District Court judge who refused to allow this plea agreement to be signed off on in her court, did exactly what needed to happen. This is what judges should do. They should scrutinize powerful people who are trying to get sweetheart deals through that are not justified based on the facts in question. And I said, you guys go back and listen, for weeks, months, Judge Noriega needed to reject this plea deal. In July, late July, she did, and that's the reason why we have these charges on the gun incident, three felonies brought. Now, what needs to happen going forward? All of the charges need to be brought for IRS tax evasion. Hunter Biden didn't pay taxes for multiple years. Some of those years evidently have already passed uh, under the statute of limitations, so they cannot be charged on, although... I'm not sure 100% that that's true. Maybe there's some sort of waiver out there that we haven't heard uh, discussed. But even if the early years are, uh, are term limited, basically, are, uh, are told the statute of limitations has run, then we need to go ahead and immediately get the rest of the charges brought uh, as it pertains to the Hunter Biden uh, tax charges. Gun charges, one thing. We need the tax charges as well. All these felony charges need to be brought. Now, what happens? Um, I said this a while back. If Joe Biden uh, pardons Hunter Biden, then I think his political career is over. Uh, certainly, I think he can't do it before the 2024 election unless he also pardons Donald Trump from federal charges, which I actually think is what he should do. I don't think he would do it. He could pardon Trump and he could pardon Hunter Biden and any other members of the Biden family and say, hey, let's just have an actual election based on facts. Uh, and disputes about the direction of the country as opposed to trying to put each other in prison for the rest of our lives. Um, but I don't think that Joe Biden can pardon before the election in 2024 to the extent that he's the nominee. And the real question is, is Joe Biden going to be the nominee? This has been a disastrous week for Joe Biden. You had the Washington Post, David Ignatius, come out and say Biden shouldn't run. Another Washington Post columnist also has said the same thing. You've had a lot of prominent Democrats, Raskin and Pelosi among them, not able or willing to endorse Kamala Harris as the VP. Uh, you had the indictments come down against Hunter Biden, and you had still more evidence coming out of Biden trailing Trump, of Biden being underwater when it comes to overall approval ratings. At some point, and we may already be there, Democrats, this is why I said I don't think Biden is going to run, Democrats are start, going to start to look around and ask the question, wait a minute, is Joe Biden actually going to beat Trump? Are we 100% confident of that? And if they are not, and I think increasingly they are not, they're going to start looking around and saying, should we have a younger, 
more astute uh, candidate whose brain actually works. And I think that's the debate that we're going to be in the midst of over the next couple of weeks. Finally, uh, evidently, I don't know if this comes out of TikTok. I can't keep up with where things go viral these days. But everybody is talking about whether or not they are impressed um, by the uh, by the Roman Empire. And evidently, a lot of guys spend a lot of time thinking about the Roman Empire. This is what's being discussed on social media. So our head of social media said, hey, Clay, can you talk on the Friday show about how often you think about the Roman Empire? I actually do. Um, I'm a history nerd. I think about all different sorts of aspects of history on a regular basis, but I think about the Roman Empire all the time, uh, even more so because I just got back from Rome in, uh, in March. And why do I and why am I thinking about the Roman Empire? I came back and I asked an interesting question. After I went around Rome and after I saw the Pantheon and after I saw so many of the beautiful Colosseum, majestic ruins of ancient Rome. And so many of the cathedrals all throughout Italy that were built during the Roman Empire, uh, many of them. And, uh, and I said, and I still think this is true, how many things have been built in my life that hundreds of years from now people would be willing to go and stand in front of and be impressed by. And, and, I, and I think it's such an interesting question. Now, there's movies that have been made. Maybe you can say hundreds of years from now, people are going to watch Star Wars. Maybe they're still going to watch the Marvel movies. I don't know. Seems unlikely to me, but maybe they will. But when you walk into so many of these parts of Rome, like the Pantheon's a great example, there's a permanence to it and a significance to it that much of that does not exist in the United States in particular. The Pantheon in particular, when I walked in, these gigantic doors, you look at the hole in the ceiling. It's 2,000 years old. 2,000 years old. And when I was standing in the Pantheon, thing built at the apex of the Roman Empire that's still in impeccable shape today. Still go visit it. Encourage you to do so. I couldn't stop thinking to myself, if Benjamin Franklin or George Washington or Thomas Jefferson happened to walk into the Pantheon, that Pantheon was 17 or 1800 years old when they walked in there. Think about how crazy that is. The Pantheon is so old that when George Washington or Thomas Jefferson or uh, Benjamin Franklin walked in, these icons, the founding fathers of our own country, the Pantheon was 17 or 1800 years old. We think of the United States as this incredibly long-lasting permanent place, but the things that are old here aren't actually old at all. A house that's 200 years old is commonplace in much of the rest of the world, certainly in Europe and certainly in Italy and as a part of the Roman Empire. So to me, what it represents is permanence in an impermanent world and the desire to create 
dynasties. And I think men in particular are thinking oftentimes in our heads about what's going to come after us. Like, I've got three boys. I spend a huge part of my day thinking about, hey, how do I help those three boys to become the best versions of themselves so that then they can grow up and be dads and they can have kids, boys, girls, and they can have a bunch of those kids that hopefully make the world a better place and that they can, that we can continue to uh, advance as a society. And I think a lot of people look back at ancient Rome at this apex civilization that dominated the world and indeed gave much of the framework for our country to exist as it does today, right? If you go back and study ancient Greece and ancient Rome, that is the foundation of much of our republic, much of our democratic processes. But what it shows you is the transitory nature of permanence and how something that is the greatest that has ever been created in the history of the world can decline. And I think there is just something innately human about the stories, the legacies, and the, and the, uh, and the, and the just narrative arc of Rome that is compelling. And then I think there's other things about it that people like. I think men like that you had gladiators. I've talked a lot in my career about football. Uh, running onto a football field is as close to the modern gladiatorial experience as exists, I think, in modern American life, right? Football is our version of gladiator, gladiatorial combat. And I know that people can say, well, what about UFC? What about, um, uh, what about boxing? I actually think football is more commonplace because basically we built all of these stadiums that are replicas of the original Coliseum and the way that you run out into those ramparts with everybody able to, to look down upon you and the passion, the, the, the vim, the vigor, the vitality that, that is there. So I think about history all the time. Um, I think about ancient Rome. Uh, I think about our country, which history is very short, but I think history is important and contemplating the longer arc of history is important because what it teaches you is to be humble. Because anybody who's, I'm a history major, anybody who studies history understands that what the right or wrong side of history is may not be known for hundreds of years. Uh, we still argue over decisions that Civil War generals made. Uh, we still argue over invasion decisions that were made in ancient Greece and ancient Rome. Were they the right decision, the wrong decision? Um, and so it teaches you to be humble and also teaches you that I really do believe this over time that humanity's aspirations are phenomenal and humanity's achievements continue to grow. But I think there's something about standing in many of those old uh, old architectural relics and thinking about what it would have been like to spend basically your whole life trying to make one corner of a cathedral beautiful and to have made it so beautiful that thousand years later, thousands of years later, hundreds of years later, people would come and stand jaws dropping at the majesty of your work. And again, the thing I would just say from an art perspective is how much that has been created, 
in my life is going to still matter hundreds of years from now in terms of a physical edifice. That's what I think about when I'm in ancient Greece or ancient Rome. All right, love all of you. DBAP unless you need to SBAP. I'm Clay Travis. This has been Outkick Show.